ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with uh, Pastor William Shiflett. Uh, Pastor William is the pastor of Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. He's also a motorcycle enthusiast. Uh, he's got his motorcycle outside today. So, yes, indeed. So he's enjoying that while the weather is nice. And he's also a, a licensed pilot, uh, which is really, really nice because sometimes he invites me to go up with him and I uh, absolutely love doing that. So, And he's an author as well. Uh, did you want to tell us about any of your 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 books. Well, I would, have? yeah, I would just call attention to this little one again, Unconvinced, uh, because we're talking about some things today in the podcast that yes. the book will be like a, a, a help to anyone who has questions along these lines and give some more information. It's a critique of a book that was written about the question is Calvinism biblical. Mm-hmm. I read the book and I responded to the book with Unconvinced. And so it touches on some of the stuff which we're dealing with today and that we dealt with last week in the last week's podcast. So it'd be a good thing. And we are offering for a limited time a free book for anybody. Just contact us with the uh, information. Go to my blog, williamsgoodword.org, william-goodword-we're working on fixing that. I will put a link uh, in the description. So, right. but it's Williams Dash Good Dash Word dot dot word, and we so. are working on a shorter version of that. I just couldn't decide on what to exactly to go with. So, uh, go to the blog and uh, pick up that free book. It's an excellent book. And while you're there, shop some of his many other books. Yes, and take a look at those. I'm sure you'll enjoy one of those as well. And read his blog. As well, it's good news, and that's something that is dearly needed uh, in this day and age. And there's a lot of good news out there, there is. too. So, and praise the Lord for that. Well, we've been discussing the book, um, The Christian Life, by Dr. Sinclair B. Ferguson, and we are in chapter 12, and we're talking about the doctrine of election, uh, which is sometimes a controversial um, doctrine. But uh, we're going to get into it. Maybe uh, once you lay it out, it's not as controversial as a lot of people think. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll make it even more controversial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if God is glorified, then that's that's the, that's what we're aiming right. for here today is to glorify God. So we. We've talking about, uh, Dr. Ferguson has gone back to the Old Testament and he talked about God's, uh, chosen people. And he also talked about Jesus in the New Testament and how he taught the doctrine of election. And now we're going to move on to the epistles and, and talk about Paul's teaching uh, on the doctrine of election. But before we start, Pastor, I thought, um, about a few questions I wanted to ask you. A lot of times in churches we hear about soul winners or a person being a soul winner or winning people uh, to Christ. Now, is that an accurate term that can be used or 
Uh, where did that? Do you know where that term might have originated, or is it biblical? Well, I would say it is biblical. There is a passage, if I'm not mistaken, in Proverbs that says, "He that winneth souls is wise." Mm-hmm. So you have, and that's the King James version. That, so that you have that emphasis. Uh, certainly, we are all called to evangelism. We're yes. called to be witnesses, mm-hmm. and if God uses us to uh, bring someone to Christ. There is a sense in which we played a role in that, so that the term soul winner, I wouldn't say it's a, a blasphemous or heretical term, mm-hmm. but, but the focus is upon what God does through right. us, not what we do for God. Right. And I guess that's the way I would say it, because when you, if you put the wrong emphasis, I'm a soul winner, it, it puts the emphasis upon what I'm doing rather than focusing on what God is doing through us. Right. And so, so it isn't wrong if it's kept in a proper perspective. That's a good way to put it. Very good. Dr. Ferguson goes to a passage of Scripture that we're very, very familiar with. We've talked about it uh, in the past. He goes to Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And I will read that really quickly. It says, And we know that for those who love God, God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those that he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, Dr. Ferguson says, says that here, as elsewhere in Scripture, uh, predestination uh, or election, I guess you could call it, is seen in the context of encouraging the hard-pressed or the downtrodden. Uh, how, how, does pre, how does election or predestination bring comfort to people? Well, if you go on in that text, of course, the, the, in the Romans chapter uh, 8, he says... If uh, God be for us, who can be against us? Yes. The reason we know that we can draw strength because God is on our side. And how do we know that God is on our side? Because he's chosen from eternity past to save us. Yes. God is working all things together for our good. That's his plan. Mm-hmm. And this, by the way, is an eternal good. It doesn't mean everything works out in life the way I want it, but that my eternal well-being is assured in Christ right. because God never fails in what he sets out to do. And he puts that emphasis in there. That it is because God has predestined us that we can be assured he is working all things out according to his plan. And because he never fails in what he does, we don't have to worry about being defeated, as what Paul goes on to say there. Who can, who can, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then later on he says, uh, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ? Well, the answer is nothing can separate us because God has determined to do something mm-hmm. and he cannot be thwarted in what he sets out to do. So it can be great encouragement. And of course, in that passage, Paul is talking about external things, really. Mm-hmm. But but we also know that God is going to uh, going to succeed in helping, uh, or God is going to succeed in conquering sin in our own hearts so that we are not, we don't go, we don't turn around and go back. We continue to press on with him. And it's because God has predestined, he's made a plan, his his plan is never fails, never comes short, mm-hmm. etc. Right. Where is it 
if I make a plan, I have to change it two or three times. Two or three times a day. So yeah. we can we can rest in the assurance that God has a plan. He has a purpose and a plan. He has a purpose and a plan. And, and that purpose and plan will be fulfilled. Will be fulfilled. And that is the whole concept of, of the predestination and election. People have problems sometimes with those terms. Mm-hmm. And what I have learned and what I'm continuing to learn is that we, we don't really engage with all of the scriptures. If you engage with all of the scriptures, then you, you see that this, this is predestination. It's not a, a, a frightening thing or a bad thing. It is a source of great comfort. Yes. A source of great comfort. I'll give you a quick example. Yesterday, my wife had lunch with a young lady that she has been, she's worked with for years. Uh, the young lady has been in Wicca. She's been involved in witchcraft. Lisa's had a passion to reach her for Christ. They had lunch yesterday, but before she went yesterday morning, we were talking, and she said she didn't know how to approach it. She doesn't know how to to bring the subject up. And she said, if I fail to uh, convince her, is God going to hold me accountable? Remember, we talked in the previous episode about that passage in Ezekiel. Right. But I, I am to be a person who is engaging with other people, but whether they come or not, is totally dependent upon what God has determined to do in eternity past. Mm-hmm. So if I have that, then I don't have to go into a, a, a situation like that fearful that I'm, I'm going to do or say or do the wrong thing and end up with blood on my hands because God has determined beforehand right. that that person will or won't come to Christ. We share the gospel. We love people. We yes. care for people. If they never come to Christ, we care for them because that's what God has called us to do. Right. But the final uh, con- final uh, measurement is what has God determined to do? What is his plan for that person? And I trust in him uh, instead of beating up myself. And it's just another one of the ways that we can find comfort in the idea of predestination. Exactly. And that gives you comfort. Uh, during evangelism because you go in and, and you don't feel like it's the, the weight is on your shoulders like you're a salesman. You right. know, you're going in there to sell them on uh, on the Lord. You go in just to witness and share your faith with the person and uh, share the gospel mainly with with the person and let God do a work right. in, in their life. Right. And, God is responsible for that. He is responsible. And, and another point that I try to always make with people, uh, and I hope others are making it, I never heard it when I was a young Christian and we were talking about going out all the time, is that because God has a plan, he has chosen to save people at a particular point in time. And I'm going to go, I'm going to share the gospel. But I go away and that person says, no, I'm in, not interested in Christ. I don't want to do this or that. I don't go away thinking, okay, well, they're doomed for hell. Right. I don't know when God has chosen to save them because mm-hmm. his plan includes a, a, a time, a place, a vehicle. You know, he, sometimes he, he leads somebody to church and they get saved. Other times he, he leads you into a conversation with a complete stranger mm-hmm. and they, they give their heart to Christ. We don't know when God is going to save. We share the gospel. So I'll give you another little example quickly. Uh, years ago, the church I attended had a TV program, and uh, the, the the church had all the television production equipment. So uh, they tinkered with the idea of making commercials for other people 
you know, using the technology, make money off of the technology to support the television ministry. Right. And so they had me dress up in a suit and carry a briefcase into the courthouse and film that. Well, while I'm standing outside there, uh, looking, waiting for them to get everything together, a guy comes up to me, wants money. Well, of course, I know he's just, he's asking for money for, for something to drink. And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. There was a little hot dog stand across the street. And I said, I'll go over and get you some hot dog and a drink. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the money, but I'll give you food. So I, I went over and did that. I brought it back to him. I gave it to him, and I talked to him a moment about Christ. And then I had to do my part. That was the end of the story, I thought. Uh, maybe a year later, I'm serving as the usher in church, and I get back to the back row, and there's a guy standing there, uh, sitting there smiling at me. And it was that guy. He did not. I did not know him. But that little interchange, but he didn't come to Christ right then when I talked to him. He came to Christ sometime after that. And see, I didn't, I didn't have to go away from that saying, well, I, I'm just not a soul winner. I'm just not an effective witness because I just can't talk because nobody responds. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. Correct. Share the gospel and leave the rest up to God. Yeah. Uh, like we said, God has a plan. He has a purpose. Uh, and how does he accomplish that? He uses, he uses people, people to accomplish that. And maybe God wants to use you. Right. Uh, to to accomplish his purpose in the life of someone else. Right. So right. share the gospel. We are called to share the gospel. Right. So go out and, and do that uh, as much as you can. And leave the rest, leave the final result to God. Leave it to God. That's right. And I know you know this, but for those, and many of the people watching probably do as well, but sometimes we're not going to know in this life mm-hmm. whether I touch this person or that person. One of the things that's really amazed me in my life is how many times you encounter somebody a decade or two later and they will recount to you something you said or did, uh, you know, when you, when you knew them and, and you think they remember that, right. They remember, I mean, I've, I've seen people at funerals who, uh, I didn't even recognize. And they said, you know, we used to come to your church and you said this one Sunday and this just really changed my life. You you see what I'm saying? It's God using it. Yes. And we will never even know. So there may be hundreds of examples like that where we won't know till we get to heaven. Right. Share the gospel. Share the gospel and leave the rest to God. So you may be witnessing when you don't even realize it. God is using right. you to accomplish his purpose. Right, right. Dr. Ferguson says out of that scripture, uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30, he says that uh, five outworkings in the lives of believers are listed for knowledge predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. And all those, uh, he uses the the past tense when he talks about it. Now, why would he use the past tense, and why is that important? Well, the, the, the general impression is that Paul uses the past tense, again, to convey the fact this is settled. This is going to be accomplished. It's God's plan. It will not fail. Uh, that is an important point because, what, well, again, a lot of people say, well, that predestination, they don't like the idea of predestination, and I argue that it's because we have a big misunderstanding of it that we won't obviously be able to convey in, in one video right. like this. But it does have to do with the idea, again, that God sets out to accomplish a purpose. He never fails in his purpose. And, you know, the way I've tried to explain this to people is 
When you say that God saved you, do you mean he saved you or that he gave you a chance to be saved? Because if you say that I can lose my salvation, then God didn't save you. He just gave you a chance to be saved. Right. And I can only speak for myself. I'm not going to trust in my heart, in my, in my, my ability to be perfect, which is God's standard. Mm-hmm. I do not have the ability to be perfect. I have to rely upon Christ. And the predestination conveys that idea that God has determined to save me for his glory through Christ, and I can rest in that and not be afraid of, quote-unquote, the negative uh, the negative connotations that some people see in that word. I find comfort and assurance. God has wrapped me in his arms, and he is not going to let me go. Amen. And even if you say, well, I can go out on my own, I, A, I don't know why you would do that, right. but B, good luck. Yes. Because if God is Lord and he can never be defeated in what he intends to do, then how can you escape from his plan? Right. Oh, it's, it's, I know there's, I know it's, it's just, for me, it's so incredible. The depth of it is so incredible. It is. It, it, we could talk about it for ever and ever. And we'll never exhaust the, never. the, the uh, deepness and richness of it. But that is the, that is getting back to the point of, why he uses the past tense, because from God's point of view, it is a settled it's issue. It's a settled issue. It's not, it's not, maybe you'll be saved. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I'll bring you through this trial. Maybe I'll keep you. Maybe my plan will work out like I, I envisioned. No. It, it, you know, and again, so let me say something else. Many people take the phrase predestination, or the word predestination. And they say, well, it only appears two or three times in the New Testament, so... That's really not that big a deal. But you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the prophets and you look at how many times God says something and he ends this statement with, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Meaning, I've declared it and because I'm God, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to fail to do it. So even though the word predestination may only appear a few times in the New Testament, the Bible has this under, there's this current running through all of Scripture that God accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. Yes. And that's where our hope and salvation is, that God will not fail to save me. He will not fail to bring me through. And that's the concept of, the bigger concept of predestination and why Paul can use the phrase in the past tense. Those whom he called, he, he predestined, and those he predestined, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified, and um, and it's just so powerful. We can rest in God's unfailing plan. Mm-hmm. Now, the thought that uh, just crossed my mind were are the words: "It is finished." It is finished. It is finished. Now, does that apply, or uh, when Christ? Christ paid the price for all this at the cross. So when Christ said it is finished, all these things were accomplished. All these right? things from, from the from the from yeah, standpoint from standpoint of God, mm-hmm. done deal. Okay, yes. they work out in history. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have the predestination, then you have the point 
but which is in the eternal past. Then you have the point in your in your living your life where you feel the call of God. You put your faith in Christ. You're justified. Then, of course, glorified refers to when we receive the new body, the, the the last step, quote unquote, in the salvation experience. But again, God sees that. Paul sees that as something accomplished. As accomplished. It is working out in our lives moment by moment. Mm-hmm. But from God's perspective in eternity, it's a done deal a done because deal. he will not fail in what he sets out to do. I mean, can you imagine? And this this has got so many uh, implications. <laughs> can you imagine we get to heaven and and we're celebrating the greatness of God but we have to keep mentioning. Well, you know, he failed to get so and so in heaven. He wanted to, but he couldn't do that. I mean, what kind of what kind of glory are we going to be offering to God if if there is that question that well, if there were some people he wanted to save, he just couldn't do it. He just failed in that. You know, and see, that's one of the things that I try to convey to people. Don't just look at that one word, but look at the big picture. Look at the big spectrum of it. And and see, uh, see all of the nuances. As I've mentioned before, a facet, a diamond has multiple facets, and unfortunately, typically, we can only see one facet at a time. Right. When we turn the diamond to see another facet, we lose sight of this one, mm-hmm. and so we have to keep that kind of analogy in our mind. But if I try to study the diamond from all these different, each facet just takes my breath away. With the greatness of God. So don't just look at that one word and say, oh, I don't like that word. But look at the principle that is woven into the scriptures and 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 marvel at the Lord. Yes, incredible. It's un- unbelievable, the glory that we have in Christ. Dr. Ferguson goes on and he talks about the Greek word used for to foreknow. Uh, he says that with things, it means to have information beforehand. But with people, it means an intimate knowledge and communication uh, with. So in light of that, what does Jesus mean when he says in Matthew seven twenty two through 24? On that day, many, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In that text, as Dr. Ferguson brings out, the phrase is a relational term. Mm -hmm. Go back into the Old Testament again. Uh, Adam knew his wife. It's a very intimate relational word. We know what today we know it means sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. He knew her in a very intimate fashion that like no one else knew. It's a relational word, okay? Um, So when we read that, Jesus says, I never knew you. I was never in a relationship with you. You did a lot of religious works, but you were never a true believer. Mm -hmm. Now that is the verse that, uh, that is a verse I think should give a lot of people pause because they're just going along playing religious game. I believe, I believe, And yet Jesus says to people who had works, they were casting out demons. They were doing miracles. The the word, we've done many wonderful things in your name. That that phrase, wonderful things, is the same used for miracles that Christ did. 
We've cast out devils. We've had power in the in the spirit realm. We've we've spoken with spiritual authority. And Jesus says, I don't know you. And I never did know you. Mm-hmm. And that again is one of the the most powerful passages about my own um, journey with the with the with the reformed, the beauty of the reformed teachings is that this isn't a matter of someone who who was a Christian and stopped being a Christian. This is somebody up to the moment of their death, they were doing these religious things. And Jesus says, I don't know you. So, so there is that, that sense of, and, and what Dr. Ferguson brings out is that Jesus cannot be talking there about relational knowledge because he knows everything. He's yes. God. Okay. Right. So he can't be saying, I don't know things about you. Mm-hmm. It has to have the connotation that we were never in a relationship of master to servant, a Lord to to uh, uh, to subject, father to child. It was mm-hmm. never that. It was always this religious pretense. And that's very important because a lot of people say, well, predestination, foreknowledge means God knew ahead of time that I would believe, and he chose me for salvation based upon that. Well, that's uh, again flies in the in the face of passages like that, mm-hmm. where God uh, is talking about you're not in relationship. Right. It's not about I I don't know things, or I don't have factual knowledge. It's a relational term. Right, and we need to ask ourselves not only does Jesus know us, do we know Him? Right, and if you're in a relationship, then you want to know someone. I mean. Uh, just think about the relationship between husband and wife, which uh, is is a parallel that the Bible uses right. uh, between Christ and the church. I mean, you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't know. That, exactly, uh, or, or whatever kind of relationship we would call it. It's not the it's not the level that you're mentioning between husband and wife, because that's a relationship that is closer than any other relationship. In fact, there have been even studies saying that homosexual couples do not have that degree of, of closeness. Well, we know why, because that's not God's plan. Right. But you, when you're going to have a relationship with your husband or wife that is different from your children, from your parents, and predominantly because you're going to be with this person twice or three times as long as you will be with either one of those. Right. Uh, situation. So it is a a deep relational word. And I wanted to go back to that because what you hear a lot of times, this is later in the discussions about uh, the Reformed doctrines, but, you know, the idea of the perseverance of the saints, eternal security. Mm-hmm. And you have people say, well, I'm not in fellowship, but I'm in relationship. I'm not in church and I'm not really doing Christian things, but I'm in relationship. And the question I always ask is, what kind of relationship is it if you never want to be with the person you're in relationship to? That's right. I mean, would you consider a healthy marriage if you said, I never want to be with my wife? Or would you consider it a healthy, mar- uh, healthy family if you said, I don't care whether I ever see my children? I mean, what kind? Yes, you are related, but you're not, you know, so that, that, that whole argument just falls apart. When Jesus uses the term, I never knew you, he's meaning. We've never been in a kind of relationship where there's this uh, interaction and connection and involvement with each other. You're just running out there doing your own thing and thinking that that's okay. That's right. That's an excellent way to put it. Uh, 
Dr. Ferguson moves on a little bit, and he, he goes on to uh, talk about the book of Romans. So if you have your book uh, with you, uh, if you have your book, you can follow along with uh, us in Dr. Ferguson's book. But if you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to go through scripture very quickly here, so you can follow along in your Bible if you like. He's, uh, Dr. Ferguson says in chapters 1 through 8 of Romans, we see uh, the doctrine of justification. Uh, we see his necessity, which is man's sin. We see his provision, which is in God's righteousness, and its application, which is in God's sanctification. In Romans chapter 9, he describes justific- uh, the rejecting of it by God's own people, the Jews. In chapter 10, we see that the Jews have disqualified themselves through unbelief. And in chapter 11, he expounds on the riches of the grace of God, which remain to be revealed. And all through chapter 9, we see the sovereign election of God is the foundation uh, for that. And he said that brings up an argument uh, that Paul brings up it itself. He the first objection we see in Romans 9, uh, 14, and I'll read that real quickly. And of course, it answers itself, so I won't, I won't read the answer and let you answer it. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Now, a lot of people like to bring that up, that God is unjust. Right. But how would you react to someone that says to you that God is unjust? Well, the first thing I, I want to say, I was give my answer, and then I want to highlight what Dr. Ferguson said because it's very good. Mm-hmm. I, and I kind of, this answer kind of gets into the next objection. Maybe I should wait to there, but, well, that's fine. but the, but the point that I always make is, is if you really understood your sinfulness, if you really understood how bad, how corrupted I am, how deep my sin goes, I would, recognize that I'm really not in a position to speak to the justice of God. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.